Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Hello, it is good to be with you. Today, we're continuing our summer series, exploring the lives of mystics and contemplative people throughout history. And today we're discussing St. Benedict. And St. Benedict of Nursia is considered one of the most important figures in Christian monasticism, in part due to a rule of life he wrote in the 5th century. And this rule has been followed by thousands and thousands of nuns and monks across the world 1,500 years later. And while St. Benedict placed a strong emphasis on prayer and contemplation, his teachings primarily emphasized a disciplined and practical approach to Christian living more than a mystical experience. And so often we think of mystics as maybe a little bit of woo-woo, but this is not the case with St. Benedict. In his rule, he even writes about how to care for the tools at the monastery and very practical aspects of day-to-day living. And this may not be something you expect to hear when thinking about a mystic. And so one part that strikes me about his writings is the theme of humility, particularly as we listen to others, being humble, listening to others more than what we want to say. And I think as we listen to others, stuff arises within us and we want to react. But when we listen deeper, we interact with humility and then have opportunities to listen to ourselves in new ways, rather than this reactionary of what's being said in the moment. Secondly, he wrote about this concept of ora labora. Uh, It's about this concept of work-life balance, life rhythms, if you will. And a third topic that I would like to discuss is this idea in his rule of ongoing conversion, where we never fully arrive but we continually pay attention to the journey. And so I found these aspects of the rules of life so incredibly helpful in my own life. And so as we dive into the life of St. Benedict today, I wonder what comes up for the two of you. I also appreciate St. Benedict and I read his rule years ago. And actually, I really appreciated some of those aspects of how to care for the tools and the stewardship of the monastery and how to handle mealtime and really appreciate that he is very practical in what does it mean to live in community with other like-minded people. And it's not just all spiritual and prayer, but there's a lot of practical aspects to running a well-oiled run type of a community. And I think for me too, that ora labora, which translates to prayer and work, that balance that he talks about has been really meaningful in my own life. And Actually, just recently, I've started helping out at the kitchen at our local monastery here, Holy Wisdom, which is founded on the rule of Benedict. And I love, again, seeing the practical ways of how we're cleaning things and stewarding. Pretty much there's zero food waste at the monastery. And so if there's leftovers, it's either the sisters or the volunteers are eating it or we're donating it to people, the way in which they take care of cleanliness and ordering things and whatnot. And I really appreciate that because it comes from these values of how to run a well-organized place and also the rhythm of when the bell rings, you stop what you're doing and you go pray. And so there's this sort of the inner world and the outer world coming together, which I find really helpful. So I would say we'll continue this conversation, but those are some pieces for me right away in the conversation that strike me. 
Yes. And even as we're talking about this kind of rule in my joy journey type doctorate studies, order comes up. People often think, oh, joy is about freedom, being wild, spontaneous, delight. But actually, they say not that order is a really big deal because it allows us to know where we can take risks or where we have this freedom. So these little bits of being ordered, and it works with the mind too. The mind wants to see a bit of symmetry. And then that pop is delightful and surprising versus like complete mess. So when you start talking about a rule of life, you're creating actually the ability for there to be moments of joy, moments of spontaneity. You wouldn't think, you would think that it's all maybe boring or that this rule creates only order and it's only strict, but it's not. It it creates that opportunity for more. Yeah, I really appreciate what both of you are bringing up. I don't know that I would have necessarily thought about order as it relates to St. Benedict, but yeah, definitely very practical, pragmatic approach to this contemplative life. And I think one of the things that I I find interesting about what you're saying is whenever you provide space for order, it can create the life that you want, right? So if it work-life balance, for example, if you are paying attention to the rhythms of life, like I think a lot of people can carry their work completely well into the evening. They may have clocked out from their job at five o'clock, but then they come home and their brain space is still occupying that work sphere rather than being present to the moment of family or whatever this next space that they're in, that they find themselves being in present to the moment. And in my own life, I find that being present to the moment is so helpful. And I think going back to that theme of humility, right? One of the huge values in humility is that deep listening to others. And I think whenever you're truly deeply listening to others, you're hearing everything rather than what our minds tend to do in the modern world is when somebody discusses something, it triggers something in us. And then we make it about us and our experience And as a pastor, I struggled with truly listening to other people, particularly because you have things to do, right? You have things going on. And this idea of being present to the person that's sitting right in front of you was something that I really struggled with. And so I think St. Benedict has been super helpful, particularly with this aspect of humility, like putting others before yourself. And one one of the fun sayings about humility is, It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. And I found that when I practice this rule of humility, I'm really paying attention to the whole story that is coming from another person's life rather than like dividing and putting it in different segments. So that's something that's coming up for me. Christina, I appreciate you talking about when we have that sort of structure and order, then from there can come the pop and the creativity. And again, just thinking back to the kitchen at the monastery and the chef saying like, when there's spaciousness and order from that place, we can then make these creative dishes and really have amazing food because there's this space that's allowing for that, right? That the order prepares for that sort of a thing. And Chris, I think even the rhythms, because they're very rhythmed in daily prayer and certain times of the day that they pray. And from that, it's not just like a personal 
listening, a personal humility, but there's that collective humility of as we're praying with others. And I think just even watching some of the sisters that we've been engaging with their discernment, they're getting ready to celebrate a 70 year celebration at the monastery here. And so they have this, this email series of like through the decades, how their discernment has unfolded over the past 70 years. And it's interesting because it's in these place of the structure and the order of we show up every day to these prayers and we have these rhythms, but so-and-so is on a retreat. And so they're praying with us. And all of a sudden I'm praying with someone from a different denomination or a different faith and religious tradition. The Dalai Lama came and they were, one of the newsletters was about what was it like to have the Dalai Lama, right? In the seventies and in the sixties going to the marches in Alabama. And what was it like to take our Benedictine values among these other people? And so not just listening like one-on-one, although that's part of it, but collectively, can I be humble and receive wisdom from the other group or the collective that I'm a part of? And then together, can we reshape what the next decade or year or month is going to look like? And so I appreciate that, the small aspect of that, but then also the communal aspect as well. That's remarkable. Kind of like the minutia pause, the micro pause and the macro pause. And I reflect on this often because I am so fortunate to work in environments where people naturally pause between activities, which isn't true in so many people's environments. If you need a pause or want to try to have a pause, you have to build it in for yourself and, or you have to try to rally your community to do it with you or something like this. I'm very fortunate. I am, I'm a three on the Enneagram. So achievement is my, my, in fact, I was with my sister's this weekend. And they were saying, oh, that individuality that you have of wanting to have your own space and your own image. It's so like constantly present from childhood to now. And it's totally true that achievement is such a big deal. So I have to hearken back to the moments when I have been with my work friends who taught me to pause, right? And say, okay, before I go into my next activity and my solo work here, I'm going to take a moment Uh, and celebrate that this happened. This is a thing. And I'm not just going to dive into the next thing with my brain all jumbled. I'm going to take this little pause, but it takes a lot of intentionality. The monastic life, maybe the bell rings for you. You have to create that for yourself when you're not in the monastic story. Very true. The importance of pause is something that is definitely coming back. And I love that we have contemplative spaces to talk about the Holy Pause. I wonder if we might just shift gears and talk a little bit about the rule of ongoing conversion. And this was something that I found super helpful because it's this idea on conversion is this maybe that might be a triggering word for some people. And I don't think we're using it in the way of converting from one thing to another thing. But what we're talking about is like a daily conversion. Like you're paying attention to what's going on. You're being contemplative. What came up in me? And it's, oh, I thought I dealt with that. I thought maybe that I had arrived to a place where I didn't have to deal with that thing in my life anymore. And it's funny, I was talking about being present in the moment. I'm a seven on the Enneagram talking about on to the next thing, not being present in the moment. I'm constantly struggling with what is the next thing? What's coming up? And so I find this going back to this ongoing conversion. Oh yeah. I'm not being present to the moment right now. I'm off to the next thing. And I thought I'd, I thought I'd overcome that, but 
Let's pay attention to how that's coming up in my life. And I find ongoing conversion to be super helpful and very thankful for Benedict for bringing that up. What comes up for the two of you? I think I would, we tend to use the language of ongoing discernment or transformation, evolution, but it's the same idea, right? That as we're doing these practices and engaging in these ways. And I think too, that's why maybe the word rule tends to like, yeah, I don't want rules in my life. I want that freedom and that flexibility sort of a thing. But again, to your point earlier, Christina, that it's this framework in which we're building our lives. And out of this framework does come these opportunities where, again, if you're systematically doing things, and that means you're paying attention and you're even aware of the conversion happening to you, the changes and how you've gone from one to the next. And I've shared this on the podcast before, but our family has a practice of once a quarter, we get the whiteboard out and we set these different things that we want to experience as a family, places to go, things to purchase, et cetera. And so it's this mini practice of how have we converted over the past three months? And you know, whether it's, wow, I've grown an inch because we have the, like the other day the kid was like, oh, I think I've grown since the last time I measured myself on the t- kitchen wall. There's those conversions, but also it's like, wow, we did, we had all these holidays last quarter and look at the way that we've changed and experienced life together, but it requires that pause and reflection and the framework to do that. Otherwise the conversion happens and we can't maybe milk it for all it's worth, soak it in, be present to it like you're naming Chris. So I love the idea of the ongoing conversion. Yes. And I like that you brought up, oh, we often think of this word a a different kind of a way. And the word that came to mind as you were talking is the rebirth to be born again or whatever. And a lot of times that too was associated with a very specific thing, but there is this kind of daily to see and to see again, to be awakened and to be awakened again. Or Rohr sometimes talks about the dying a million deaths, Richard Rohr. And so In order to be reborn, there is that kind of, oh, yeah, I thought I had this, like you were saying, I thought I had it. And now here I am working on it. And maybe at a different place, right? Because that journey and evolution is real. So it might be like, oh, it's, I caught it sooner, or there's different ways in which we might still be working on it. But it is the case that we tend to slip back into whatever feels familiar, whatever our predisposition was. And so coming back, being reborn, conversion, all these words, transformation, right? They have meaning. Going back to the word that you used, rule, or I think rule or structure, order, all those things maybe can be triggering for some folks, but maybe using sort of an image to describe the rule that they talk about the rule as more like a lattice that a plant can grow and thrive, make its way upward. And I find that to be a a super helpful image. Whenever I'm thinking about order and thinking about rules that help our lives, I really appreciate this conversation about St. Benedict and just the ways that he has helped society over the last 1500 years. So thank you for having it with me. Now is the part of the podcast where we talk about what we are into. So what are we into? I am into small town charm. Our family recently traveled to South Dakota 
which gave us opportunities to go through a lot of different small towns and to experience small towns. So everything from the small town rodeo, which was a first for our children, their first rodeo, which was a lot of fun, to just the different small town shops and bakeries and farmers markets. And I just, there's just a simplicity and beauty about the small town corn festival or things that happen in small towns over the summer. So I am into the small town charm. I am into an event that we just attended. It turns out it's a nationwide event, but your town or city can put it on. It's Make Music Day and it happens on summer solstice. So if you want to do this, you have to wait a whole nother year for it to come around. But we went down in the middle of the day and there was all these little tents set up in the plaza. And so there was like bucket drumming, five gallon pail buckets and making instruments out of your recycling. And then steel drums which was so fun apparently they'll ship like some because there's one steel drum that sits outside of the center for the arts but then they had others shipped in and then we did zumba later in the day and then we saw something like a little concert in the park and it was delightful i am super into make music day how fun i have been into we have an exchange student from spain that is with us right now and she brought a gift for us. And it's this game that they play in Spain called Parcheesi. And it's very reminiscent of a game that I used to play with my family. In fact, my grandfather has one of the original boards. It's called Pollyanna. And you go around the board and you can have teams or you can play solo. But this game has been so fun sitting with my kids and just hearing them discuss the rules and hear the English Spanish version of the different pieces and the different plays has been super fun. So I've been into board games in multiple languages. Thank you so much for being with us. It was good to have you on the podcast. We look forward to seeing you again soon. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, we invite you to stay connected by signing up for our Foundry Spiritual Center newsletter, where you can learn about even more programs and offerings. You'll find a link to subscribe in the show notes or visit us anytime at foundrysc.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a great week. Music